Hello and welcome to Contramundum. I'm your host, Pastor Andrew Isker, and with me is my co-host, CJ Engel. Hello, CJ. How are you? How was your week? Good. It's been, uh, we missed last week. Did we, did we tell everyone that we missed recording week? We did. CJ was under the weather and, uh, we were, we were, we've had a backlog because of, you know, uh, summer vacation. We, we both went on vacation for, for like a week and, um, and so we've slowly been catching up and we'll return to our regular posting schedule. So this one will probably be posted shortly after the episode 22. Um, so there'll be only a couple, you know, two or three day lags. So everybody think, oh man, they're, they're putting out episodes every couple of days now. This is great. Well, don't, don't uh, get too excited because it's going to be weekly still. Uh, and we'll, we'll be back to posting it on Fridays, uh, Thursdays or Fridays. Um, uh, henceforward, as long as CJ doesn't get sick anymore and breathe in all of that Canadian uh, death air, uh, that's what got you sick, right? No, no, it's been it's been nice here. You, I mean, you guys have had. A, didn't you get smoke over there? Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get any, which is actually surprising because the last five years in California has been horrific. But yeah, it's been a pretty fine summer for us. Pretty pretty cool for uh, you know they're talking about um, you know what is it wet bombs and all kinds of like the boiling ocean the ocean's boil is the ocean yeah. boiling near you is that what's happening it's been like it was the coolest July in, in as long as I can remember so it's it's just the you know I don't know it, things things are fine it's, my 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 grandparents used to call it summer but you know now it's some like you know yeah. assault from from the sun it's funny. yeah we I mean we've had we've had pretty bad drought here like it we just finally got rain for the first time in like a month um and so my, now my grass doesn't look like you know my front yard doesn't look like death um the golf courses are still very nice because they get very well watered i can uh, see that yeah see that. yeah <laughs> that's right yeah with the big ocean behind me um and so you know it it is uh it, it, the, the golf so no one should worry golf is still happening we're still playing golf here um and uh, yeah, the episode—it's not going to be long because I have a tea time here, so we got to—we got to jump right into it. So, CJ, you wanted to talk about uh, this morning. Uh, you wanted to talk about um, an article by Russell Moore. A few, a few friends of ours, like Aaron Wren, has posted about this and, and wrote an article um, about you know analyzing this. And, and I would—I'd recommend that to anyone who uh, is listening to read what what Aaron Wren has to say about it. But CJ also has some thoughts about this article by Russell Moore in the Atlantic. Um, so yeah, go it's, ahead. It's funny. Cause I, I saw this article and um, I only saw the excerpt, which I guess appeared at the very end and I wanted to talk about it, but um, it, it was just this line that says, you know, we need to embrace our sense of homelessness is our new normal. And it just, it got me thinking that like these evangelical regime evangelicals, they've been, waiting kind of their whole careers for this moment where they can declare us homeless. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing pleases them more than the fact that like Christendom has ended and Christians no longer are the major current of Western society, Western culture. I mean, this, this is what pleases them the most, you know? Yeah. Um, but overall the article was just kind of blah. It wasn't really fiery. I thought it was going to be much more, you know, focused on that theme of homelessness, you know, because I always sense that these evangelicals, you know, this is what pleases them. The, the, the decline of Christendom, the loss of, of cultural Christianity is really what excites them. You yeah. know, that's, that's what makes them, you know, they, so whenever someone looks to, um, you know, moments in the past when 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 Christianity was a major theme within the sort of the culture mil milieu, 
the people at large sort of have these dispositions toward cultural themes. Uh, whenever someone looks at something like that and tries to, um, you, you know, take that as something worth pursuing, these guys double down on the fact that they're creating an idol out of the past. They're nostalgic. They're pursuing golden age thinking and, mm -hmm. you know, anything that, that, uh, tries to, to look for models or examples of, of, of better ways of living than this like hyper secular, hyper anti-Christian, anti-white, you know, world that we're living in. Anything that tries to correct that is really met with the disdain of the evangelical elite in America. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of what this article is within that sort of genre. Um, just criticizing anyone who looks beyond you know, the horizons of the current thing or the, you know, the horizons of the, of the uh, civil rights regime, anyone who looks beyond that and, and sees the, you know, pre-civil rights world as something that's worth emulating in certain ways is just seen as a, like a stupid romanticist, you know? Yeah. And so I think that's kind of like what I, what I took from this is just another one of those articles written in that vein uh, and, and I don't think it's going to be as, op you know, and, and, uh, Russell Moore really like pretends like this is the, the most optimistic thing that could possibly be happening. And there's no sense of emergency. There's no sense of crisis. There's no sense of decline. It's literally like this, that the fall of Christendom for, for Moore is a prerequisite to his ideal world. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's the, it's the dog in the burning house meme saying this is fine, right? That is that is elite regime evangelical uh, perspective on everything is, I mean, you read this thing. I mean, you read it. I mean, everybody listening to us here right now understands the time of day and understands like right now, like my state at this very moment, your state too, they could take our kids away and trans them. Like that's, they, they passed laws to do this, right? That that's occurring. Like they thousands of children are being mutilated in our country right now and millions of babies are still being killed and yet and then and, and then every every other facet of decline and, and cultural destruction is is occurring that everybody can see every single day right and then you read this thing by russell moore and you you would have no idea mm -hmm. that any of that is happening you would mm -hmm. you would have no idea everything's fine everything's okay and if you and if you want to fight those things if you want to uh, assert um christian moral teaching christian moral principles in the public square well you're you're bad and you're you're seeking yeah you're you're, you're nostalgic you just want to go back to to when things were good go back to mayberry and that that's more perspective is that's that's wrong um and, and so yeah these these guys have they have it exactly where they want. And, and some of like Ren's analysis is, is really good um, on this because, you know, he points out that the, there's, there is this realignment occurring within evangelicalism where you have, you know, the elite high status, you know, leaders of, of, of large churches and denominations and that have, you know, institutional power um, that they love this stuff. They think mm -hmm. it's fantastic. They think it's great. And they think that fundamentalists, you know, people like us, uh, you know, regular, uh, regular Christians that don't have institutional power, that see all of the things that are going on that are so bad, um, we are we are the bad people that need mm -hmm. to be overcome, mm -hmm. right? They they despise 
the people in the pews. They despise the Christians who voted for Donald Trump and want some type of political figure to lead um, any semblance of American renewal. They don't, they, they cannot countenance that whatsoever. They hate it. They absolutely hate it. And that's, I mean, that's what, you know, just bleeds out of this article or seeps out of it is, is the disdain that men like this have for mm-hmm. regular, decent Christian people. Yeah. They, they hate us. They absolutely yeah. hate us. He also has a very individualist understanding of the way culture works. Like, you know, and you can, you can really see this at the end that like, he says change comes first person by person and then congregation by congregation. I think the opposite is true. I yeah. think the institutions, I think those are the things that downflow and waterfall into the, the quality of the individuals. I think individuals are built by the world around them, by the institutions, by the culture itself, um, by the major themes of a civilization and a society. I think yeah. that's how, and he has this very liberal, um, you know, enlightenment view of, of, of the way that the world and the culture is developed, where you have to start with the individual and the individual first is enlightened or converts, you know, which mm-hmm. would be the Christian version of it. And then it kind of moves outwards from there. Whereas the much older traditionalist model is first, you have to convert the king. First, you have to convert the institutions, the leaders, and then they influence back downward to the individual. And I don't think Russell Moore really understands that. And so he's giving away, he's giving away the institutions. He's giving yeah. away the, the culture war. He's giving away the, 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 the area at the top of the geist or the, the milieu of something. And so he's expecting the individuals to bring about some sort of revolution. But whenever, whenever you start there with the individual, it always swings leftward. It, oh yeah, an institutionalist individual um, change always goes leftward. It's always revolutionary. You know that's that's how that's how it works. And and yeah. and you're, you're what right now the reason things are transforming as they are is because the institutions are managing the the thinking and the way. And, and we're going to talk about this: the, mm-hmm. the things that people have priorities in, the things that they that they consider significant, and the things that they all of their preference and values and all those things, those are downstream from institutional um, affection. And so, and so more wants to start at the wrong area. You actually do need to start at the culture war and, and the individual will follow suit. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think he's not, I mean, it's, it's, this is a difficult thing because it's, you have to, you you have to kind of read tea leaves with people like this. Um, I, I don't think he is this naive. Right. I don't think he I don't think he actually believes what he's saying. He knows that this is the process and how it works. He knows that that institutions enforce uh, what people believe, what people how, how people understand the world and, and, and everything you just said. He knows that um, it's you know, making it about the individual is is a cover for for leftist cultural revolution. Um, and. And because, I mean, he's, he's been at the head of institutions and has driven these things. And, and, um, what, what he and, and people like him are upset about is that, um, despite the fact that insti- these institutions have, have tre- a tremendous amount of power in, in terms of enforcing narratives and enforcing patterns of thought and, and so forth, um, they have lost some of that power, um, that, that the, the peasants are revolting, right? The, the, the typical evangelical layman is, is um, not as plugged into the matrix 
that they have set up for him uh, as they want. Yeah, they're 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 beginning to to question things, and and the evidence of that is 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 how they vote and how they view politics and and who they vote for, um, and and they don't like that, and and, and so it's it's interesting because you you have this you know and and neither of us would say we're populists or anything like that, but uh, you have this sort of populist rejection of the institution at least at some level that they are responding to. That's when he, when he says, oh, mega Republicans have are taken over evangelicalism. When he says things like that, um, he's decrying the fact that his institutions are losing power. Um, and uh, it's, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic in the sense that it's not, and it isn't a thing that's happening on a, on an individual institutional level. It's that counter institutions, even, even in nascent form, um, are, are beginning to develop. That's, that's some of what you see that there is, um, there is a sort of rightism that is beginning to take hold within evangelicalism. And, and that has been, they tried to have over the last hundred years have, have worked very hard to snuff out and prevent anyone from pursuing any, any, you know, self-conscious rightist political uh, thinking. And, and now there are, their leaders starting to develop their, their institutions starting to form and they're terrified of this, mm-hmm. right? That, that's what, that, that's the thing that they're afraid of is that what happens if, you know, there are many churches where the pastor, uh, where there are, are well-known pastors who are, um, you know, overtly right wing and, mm-hmm. and not with the program um, and, and people, you know, these mega Republicans that he decries, um, what if they start listening to them and not us, mm-hmm. right? That, that I think is what they fear. Um, I mean, you, you see this, you see this um, with like, I mean, for instance, I, I think they're very scared of, of something like Canon press that has, I mean, they have, you know, a hundred thousand, you know, plus uh, YouTube subscribers, you know, a few more than, than us. And uh, they, they have the beginning to draw in a lot of people to, to listen to very reasonable things. They're, they're terrified of, of Stephen Wolf putting out a, you know, 400 plus page book that, that outlines, you know, a, a very right wing uh, Christian political theology. Uh, they're, they're terrified of these things. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want it. And so that, I mean, if I want to give the case for optimism, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a tiny little ember of optimism. It's not, we don't have massive institutional power like Russell Moore does. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Something is developing that has not occurred for, you know, in our lifetimes and our parents' lifetimes and our grandparents and great-grandparents' lifetimes. And so that that is, um, I think, the thing that's going to continue to happen. There, there's continue, going to continue to be, you know, parallel institutions that, that rise up and form and develop that they are not going to be, ha- they're not going to have any control over. And are going to counter them in in every every way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's you know. So again, you know, I'm I'm white pilled over here. CJ is is still black pilled. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well. it's it's. I think the key. I think the key sentence in this uh, 
in this article comes from the very end where he says, if enough of us would embrace the sense of homelessness as our new normal, right? This is, this is what they love. They love homelessness for Christians, right? This is what we're in exile. We're exiles here. We're exiles. And it says as where we should have been all along. So in in other words, the last 1500 years of Western Christianity was bad because they're, because individuals who are Christians also called their countries, their home, their nations were their homes. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, like I think, I think that is a very healthy way of approaching the world that God gave us as stewards uh, of a, of a place. And I think what we need is not more homelessness, but more um, home centeredness. I think yeah. we do need to. Cons- this is why, like, I people criticize me because I live in California, and you know, why haven't you left yet? And and I get the arguments. The arguments are good uh, for for leaving. Uh, there's there's very good arguments for that, but. I have a really hard time with it personally because this is my home. I have my roots here. I'm four generations in, and this is the place that I call – this is you know that the periphery of my surroundings has made me who I am. And I don't consider myself um, just this rootless, like, vagabond. This is is something that I inherited as a place, and it's something that I am interested in preserving for those that come after me. That's I think that home centeredness is part of my humanity. It's part of my created humanity and it's part of my um, belonging. It's part of who I am as um, a steward, as someone who is who has been um, tasked with creating dominion over the earth. I think we need more home centeredness and not more homelessness. No, it, it's I mean, the, that entire perspective of Moors and, and these types of we need to be homeless. We're exiles. We are uh, you know, all, all of that type of rhetoric is perfectly aligned and it consciously, it's not an accident, uh, perfectly aligned with the globalist project because what they want is, is totally rootless, deracinated um, individuals spread out across the entire earth that are totally interchangeable that you could put me in Minnesota or you could put me in Ukraine or you could put me wherever right at any point in the earth and just shuttle us around i mean that's that's one of the great devastations of and we've we've i think talked about this before of the 20th century is i mean where, where i'm from um so many of the people i i went to high school with so many people i went to college with um they don't live here they don't even live in this state anymore so many of them are spread out all over the country and they bounce around constantly. They get a promotion at their job and they go to the other side of the country. And there's this constant rootlessness and it's by design. They want people to not have a place that they're loyal. I mean, it's like, um, you know, the military, the military, the, the current United States military um, was really reconfigured throughout the 20th century because, I mean, you look at like the, the civil war and, and even, even the first world war, um, all of the units, you know, came from the same place. They were the, they, you know, you had, you know, regiments in the civil war from, uh, from Minnesota or from Pennsylvania or, or whatever. And, and, and with the Confederacy too, that, um, you fought with your neighbors, like every, you know, all the people in your town, all the guys in your town that you grew up with, you're in the same platoon with. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there is a, there is an esprit de corps that comes from that and a, a, um, a boost of morale that you are fighting alongside people you've known your entire life. Mm-hmm. But the modern, the modern American military is everyone's randomly assigned and, and assorted and officers are, are constantly uh, transferred and shifted around 
because they don't want anyone to be, they don't want men to become too loyal to one individual because that's the recipe for a coup d'etat. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's, that is, and, and so you take that and extrapolate that to all of America, right? They, you don't want people to be too loyal to a place or to a people. You want them to have no connections. You want them to have, um, you know, no deep roots anywhere so that they don't really love anything and they're not willing to fight for anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's what they want. And so, you know, more when he talks about this, Oh, we're homeless. And, it, and, and of course he's, you know, he's not necessarily talking about, you know, um, that uh, you're literally homeless, but in, in a sense he is like you're homeless. Like America is not your home. Mm-hmm. That is, that's, that's the subtext to it is America is not your home. Your own local community is not your home. You're just, you're just a vagabond on the earth. You're like, you're right. like Abram leaving Ur and going to Canaan. But here's, here's the thing about that is yes, Abram was a sojourner in Canaan, but what did God promise him? Right? Mm-hmm. What did God promise that this land is going to be yours and your posterities forever? Mm-hmm. And so it's yours. You need to. He, he, God didn't say you're just going to randomly wander the earth like Cain forever. You are uh, going to take this particular place, and it is going to be yours and your children's indefinitely. That um, that's what God calls all of us to. Is yeah. this place that you're from? This this land is yours. And it belongs to you and your children. And think about it in those perspectives. That's that's what you, you know. And that's how that's how human beings have always thought about life. Mm-hmm. Is this place is ours? This people is mine. And I love. That. I mean, you you see this in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul. Like he has this deep affection for his own people, and at the end, his own people are rejecting Jesus and um, enemies of the gospel enemies of the church. And yet he has this massive affection for him and say, I'd rather go to hell than mm-hmm. uh, if it means that they could be, they could be saved. And, and so, and, and, and so you look at, you look at that type of thinking, right. And it's totally alien to the way these guys talk. They don't care about our country. They don't care about our people. That's why, Oh, they think it's great. I mean, Russell Moore constantly talks about how great it is to import tens of millions of third world people into America because they're just more people, Mm -hmm. right? He doesn't, he doesn't care about them. He doesn't care about us. He just thinks about people as human capital, right? Like some technocrat. Uh, He, they, that, that's how these people operate. They don't, they don't have any love or, or care about their people. Like I, I look at my town. And I'm in this, you know, upper Midwest town that's been devastated by globalism. All of our, um, you know, our town's been destroyed. All of the all the big factories and employers um, were bought up and and divvied off, like so many other places. And I see the the economic devastation here. I see, you know, I see people, you know, people are are depressed and, and extremely obese, and um, and it's. It, and it's, it's sad. I mean, it's, it's, it, the, the life and the vibrancy and um, everything that was beautiful about the place I, I grew up and lived and, and we've been here, my family, my children are the sixth generation in this mm-hmm. place. So I've been beat by, by a generation or two. Um, and, and I, I see it. I love this place and I love these people. And I, I'm, I'm heart sick over what has happened to my people. I'm, 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 I'm sickened by it that um 
so many people are, are totally depressed and aimless and, and have no purpose um, that this, this place has been destroyed and it was destroyed on purpose. It mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't an accident that, Oh, well, we, we, we allowed global capital to come in and gobble everything up and, and, and spit it all out um, because this, and it, it, and like my town's not unique. It's every town in the Midwest. It's every, it's, it's every town in the Rust Belt is, is you could drive through these places and see it is um, the, the glory of, of what our ancestors built in this place is completely gone. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was, it was stolen. It didn't just like dry up and die on its own. Mm-hmm. And, and it was stolen by the people that, that Russell Moore serves. It was stolen by the, by the people that he loves and that he, he shills for, uh, he shills for this whole project. And so when I hear this stuff, I mean, it, it, it hits me at this very deep visceral level that, that this man hates um, all the things that I love in, 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 in every possible way, right? He hates it. He hates, he hates my people. He hates, he hates the place that I'm from. I mean, if he came to my town, he would be disgusted by, by our people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he would drive around and see like my town, people have Trump flags up all over the place. Um, <laughs> like he would be disgusted by that. He would hate it. Um, and so, uh, he, you know, I, I, I like to imagine, you know, Russell Moore coming to a, a steak fry night at the, you know, American Legion in my town and, and, and just seeing, you know, what his face would look like. like he yeah. would hate these people. He would, he despises them. Um, but then it contrasts that, you know, like, uh, you know, imagine if like Donald Trump or Tucker Carlson came to my town, uh, <laughs> on an American Legion steak fry night where the place is packed, uh, he would be, he'd be just like, you see these videos of him at like a Dairy Queen where everyone's mm-hmm. at the place is packed. Everybody loves him. He's having a great time and he, 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 he loves these people. Um, and, and there's so much about the guy that's fake, but I don't, I don't think that is. Um, so anyway, I mean, that. That is when I when I read this stuff, it 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 further cements in my mind that um you know your a friend's point that there's this major fracture within evangelicalism that these institutions that we we simply have to step over them, that there is no there's no retaking, there's no retaking them. We're not mm-hmm. going to we're, we're not going to oust the Russell Moores and the David French's and the people like this that, and, and, and all the ones we don't know their names, right? Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not going to get rid of those people. Um, we need to let that stuff die and we need to fight them and oppose them and, and, and critique the things that they say and continue to do so. But it, we have to be building our own things um, and, and, and building things that will be a blessing to our people and continue to fight for what is ours. And, and, and so I'm, I see people doing this stuff and I'm, I'm very optimistic, even though it's, you know, it's such a small, I mean, it's, it's, it's so, everything is so small now. I mean, you, you have, you have entire generations of pastors who have not been taught any, any semblance of political theology other than the kind of stuff Russell Moore says, right? They have no idea. And I, I don't blame, I don't, I don't blame the regular pastor either. Like people, I think a lot of people sometimes think that I, that I do that. I think, Oh, all the pastors are idiots and they're so stupid. No, I, I don't think that like they, they don't have categories for this stuff because there hasn't been anybody to teach them that mm-hmm. there hasn't. I mean, only, only a very small few have like the right instincts that are like, Oh, you know, I, I don't think, I, I think, you know, mass immigration is probably bad. 
Um, but they don't, they don't understand why they don't, they don't understand, um, you know, the historical developments that bring this about or the political forces driving it or, or, or the reasons for it. They don't, they don't understand any of that because there's not been anybody to tell them that. Yeah. Um, and this, this is in the face of anybody and everybody telling them that it's evil and racist to, to not want, you know, a hundred thousand plus Somalis to, to live in Minnesota. Um, you know, that, that. Um, everybody is telling them that you, you're not allowed to think those thoughts, but a few still are like, I don't think this is good. This is, this is probably not good. Um, and, and so the fact that there are people now beginning to give a coherent um, theological and, and intellectual case for why, you know, no, these, these things actually are bad and there's, there's good reasons why um, is, is heartening. It's encouraging. And I, I think, I think we, you know, if you're out there doing it uh, on the internet, and uh, you're fighting these fights. This stuff matters, right? It mm -hmm. matters if you, you know, when you reply to, I mean, you'll get immediately blocked by Russell Moore, but if you reply to him or David French and people like that, like, and, or anybody else making these arguments, it matters um, that people are seeing these things because people see stuff on the internet. They might, you know, for every person that posts, there's like a hundred or 200 or a thousand that just read, that just lurk and read. Yeah. And, and so you are, you're having an effect on, on this stuff, even if you're, you know, uh, posting and replying and, and you don't have a huge Twitter account or anything like that, it, it matters. It, it really does. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I, I think we, we also wanted to bring up and, and maybe by the time this is posted, you know, people have already forgotten about it because the, the, the discourse moves so quickly. Uh, but in the same vein as, as Russell Moore and elite evangelicalism, there was, um, this, um, prayer breakfast the other day, sponsored by Senator Tim Scott, who's running for president of the United States. And, and if anyone got to see the that Iowa um, event where Tucker Carlson interviewed all of the presidential candidates except for Trump, um, it uh, his one with Tim Scott was was worth the price of admission just because it was so hilarious. <laughs> I mean, he, this guy. He is so stupid. He is. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, and I, I don't have a very high view of the intelligence of the typical American politician. And he shocks me at how dumb he is. I mean, Tucker would ask him these questions, especially like on Ukraine. Right. He's, he's asking him, hey, what's the point with the Ukraine? war? like, what's the goal? What are we trying to accomplish here? You know, policy wise, because. For 20 years, I asked the same question about Afghanistan and nobody could ever give me a coherent answer. And so Tim Scott, what does he say? Well, we're, we're there to secure the peace. And so, <laughs> so, okay. Uh, and so Tucker you know, immediately follows up and says, well, what do you mean by that? Because there was a peace deal on the table that Zelensky was ready to approve and the Russians were ready to sign off on one week into the war. And the United States said no. You may not do that. You need to keep the war going. And here we are, you know, a year and a half later, and the war is still going, and hundreds of thousands are dead. Um, and and this entire region is devastated. And and, and Tucker's like, so what what happened there? And he's like, Well, we did we need to prepare our West and give some gobbledygook about preparing our Western allies and, and blah blah blah. And uh, we need more time and, and so on and so forth. And he couldn't give any other than just these really inane talking points then mm -hmm. you clearly like you're smart enough to memorize some talking points and pretend to sound smart but he can't 
you know, off the top of his head, explain what the American goals in Ukraine are at all. And, and honestly, you know, somebody that has 40 more IQ points than him can't do it either. Right. Mm -hmm. the, there is, there is no goal. The goal is to just bleed Russia out for as long as possible. And uh, maybe, you know, keep the, they'll keep this thing going 20 years. If they have to, they'll just keep printing money and sending it over there and sending, sending weapons and, and so forth. They'll, they'll fight to the last Ukrainian man. Like they're, they're totally happy to do that because they just want to, they want to establish an, a NATO base in, in Ukraine to be able to threaten Russia with that's, that's the, the point. Mm -hmm. uh, that's always been the point. I mean, that's the whole point of the 2014 coup that the United States sponsored. Um, I mean, and, and the, the, the one in 2004 as well, like that, that has been the goal in Ukraine from the get go. And these guys don't know this, but anyway, so all this is to say, you know, Tucker's interviewing me. He's, 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 he's not very bright. And, um, and he, so he sponsors this prayer breakfast breakfast and he, and all, the other thing he did is he knows he's in Iowa and there's lots of evangelicals and pastors in Iowa. And he, he starts launching into all of this, like Christianese to try to show how, what a great giant super Christian he is and, and how, how he's this man of faith. And it's, and it's always, it's always so palpably obvious that it's a put on mm -hmm. that these guys are just like, it, it's so fake. And anybody can see how fake it is. So he puts on this prayer breakfast and he invites um, a congresswoman who also is in goes to the same church as him, some big mega church in South Carolina, and named Nancy Mace. And mm -hmm. he has her come speak at this this prayer breakfast. And and here she shows up. This you know this uh, you know, fairly ditzy woman uh, shows up and jokes around. Ha ha ha! And I I was going to be late, and and my my fiance wanted to wanted you know, me to, um, sleep with him. And I had to tell him no, so I could be here. That's basically what she says. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, at this like prayer breakfast, her pastor is, of this big mega church is right there. And, and she says all this and, and doesn't think anything of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, there is no, Oh, you, you live with your fiance. You like, you live with your fiance and you, you yeah. know, sleep with him and you are announcing this to the entire country and to right in front of your pastor and all these, these people, like, it, it's so, it's so like ridiculous. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine it like five years ago, something like this ever happening. Yeah. Right. Any, like at least the facade of like public righteousness would be there and it's totally gone. Right. It's completely gone. And, and some of it too is like, this is how big evangelicalism like just treats women in general mm -hmm. is, well, they can't sin. They don't, women don't sin. If you, if you say women's sin or you, you condemn women's sin, um, the only possible way you could do it is by saying, well, what's her fiance, do? like condemning the man, right? Why, why, why is her fiance living with her? Like they would, they would, they would attack him <laughs> instead of her. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, uh, but she, you know, she's living this way and, no one in any kind of authority uh, says anything that this is maybe bad and you shouldn't do this. And, and so, I mean, Nancy Mace is of course, like, like Tim Scott, a regime GOP figure. She's, she's very liberal Republican. And, and so someone like Russell Moore, I like, he's not going to say anything about this. Neither is David French or anybody else, but if they did, they would say, well, this is a symptom of what Donald Trump has done to the Republican party. He has made it a party of immorality and, and, and so forth. You know, like they would, they would, they would twist it and turn it into something to criticize Trump with. Um, and, and it, it's funny because people are like, why are all these, you know, Christian nationalist 
uh, people on Twitter condemning Nancy Mace when they support Donald Trump. Like I was seeing that, you know, quite a bit. And it's like, Donald Trump doesn't pretend to be a Christian at all. I mean, yeah, he holds up a Bible or something. He goes to, sometimes he goes to a church and, and, uh, and he invites evangelicals to things and he has them pray with him and things like that. But he, he doesn't pretend at all to be, to, to be one of them. Yeah. He doesn't go like Tim Scott at, you know, that, that Iowa, um, you know, uh, event and start talking, you know, throwing out Bible verses out of context and pretending like he's a preacher and, and shouting and think, I mean, you re really should watch the video because it's so pathetic. Um, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't pretend to be one of us at all. He, he has a, a you know, he, he tries to signal respect for evangelicals for sure. Um, uh, but he doesn't pretend like, yep, I'm one of you and I'm, I am a good, faithful, godly Christian man. Uh, mm -hmm. he does that, that, that doesn't, he doesn't play that game at all. There's no facade there. And it, it, and ironically, like that is a thing that attracts a lot of Christians to him mm -hmm. is he's not a phony like Tim Scott or Nancy Mace or any of the other, you know, GOP uh, disgusting creatures. He, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. And so it's, it's refreshing because there's a, there, um, there's an honesty there that is totally, that totally does not exist. Like, cause, because the, the, the typical GOP mold is you got to pretend to be a faithful Christian and maybe a good, very good, upstanding, wholesome person in order to get the evangelical vote. And that used to work. That used to work a lot. It's like, Oh, there's the Christian. That's he's the most Christian guy. I'm going to vote for him. Um, I mean, that's, that's the, what they did with George Bush. It's like, mm -hmm. Oh, he has this, this great conversion and how he's, you know, how he's really very serious Christian. He, he wasn't, I mean, his, his wife and daughters are all like pro gay marriage and pro abortion and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, he is too. Like he's, yeah. Yeah, of course he is. Um, and so like, that's, that's always been the way Washington has operated. So yeah, you see a guy like Trump and it's like, Oh, this is, this is refreshing for a change. He doesn't, he doesn't, um, he doesn't insult us by, by this fakery. Um, and, and so anyway, I, 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 I saw this, but I, I want to know what your thoughts are about the Nancy Mace thing. Cause I, I mean, I, I just assume that all of these people are just sick and, and corrupt. And well, that's the thing. Anyway. Like I, it doesn't surprise me. People are, Oh my gosh. Like, I can't believe she did this. I can't believe she lives like this. I can't believe she would say that as a pro It just, I don't know. It's, it's, she seems so typically reflective of, um, a Republican party of the Republican party. I mean, that's just what I, yep. by default, think of them. So um, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. That's just that's just kind of like the modern emancipated woman. Yeah. You know, I don't, what, I don't, it, I don't know. It's, and when it, I think, you know, I, I guess more more I, what I'm curious about is is how it's reflective of just the evangelical mindset in yeah. general um, that here's this woman who apparently goes to your church every single Sunday. And she's so ignorant of of what the Bible teaches. I mean, and even just like bearing in mind that these people are all fakes and phonies and everything this else. Is, this is she doesn't thing. even pay, do that. Y right? she yeah, doesn't even fake that. Yeah, I know. Need to. It's I know it's because like you know the it's just becoming more explicit and more normalized. I mean, I mean, really, the the people that are that do have a more of a traditional stance on you know the the role of sex within marriage. I mean, that is at the margins. That literally is within at the margins. And this is this is the result of you know de. Christianization of our culture. Yeah. I mean, because most people, like you know, even fifty years ago or whatever, they didn't derive their stance on sex before marriage from like 
like uh, individual exegesis. They didn't go to the Bible. It was just sort of like that was the culture. You know, that was yeah. that was something that had been passed on to them. And that's the role of cultural Christianity is to is to reinforce these uh, convictions of biblical morality without having to exegete every little rule. I mean, that's kind of yeah. uh, that's kind of what, so what happens when you lose the culture People don't go and exegete and kind of, you know, try to try to follow, um, you know, the strictures of biblical morality. That's not how people operate. They kind of just, you know, follow the stream. And when the stream dries up and it's so long, it's been de-Christianized, uh, people are going to continue following the stream. So it's just it's it's a symptom of uh, de-Christianization. It's a symptom of secularization. It's a symptom yeah. of homelessness. Yeah. Yeah, of of planned homelessness, of, yeah. of intentional homelessness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, I just I, it it shocks. I mean, it shouldn't shock me at all, because I know how big evangelical churches operate in general. Because it it isn't um, like I don't think Nancy Mace is unique in this in thinking there's you know nothing like so much thinking that there's nothing wrong with it that she like brags about it yeah. uh, at a prayer breakfast in front of all these pastors. Um, you know, it, it's 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 every woman in their yeah. church. It's uh, but, but, these, but all these pa these mega church pastors, all their daughters are doing it too. I know them. Yeah. Like, I live in California. Like yeah. I live, I live at mega church central. Like this is the way it is. This is the way yeah. that their sons and daughters live. And they don't want to say anything because that would be judgmental and it would be unloving and all that. You know that. Oh, yeah. just yeah. it's it's complete. It is complete. I said this on Twitter. It's a complete symptom of boomer Christianity. Yeah. It really yeah. is. And, and, and like the immediate reaction, like, so, and this is what would happen, right? Say Nancy Mace's pastor grew a spine and, and on Sunday said, you know, this is wrong. You shouldn't live with your, your boyfriend or your fiance uh, and sleep with him. That's the Bible. The Bible is very clear teaching about how you're supposed to live. Uh, this is wrong. And we're going to discipline her and, and, and so on and so forth. Like if he, if he grew a spine and did that, there would be revolt. Mm -hmm. Right. All the, all the people and, and tons of people in the church would, the church maybe would fold and collapse if he did that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and that's, that's all of these churches. It's even, it's even in like teeny tiny, um, you know, evangelical churches in small towns. Like I'm from like, there, there are tons of people that, that go there every Sunday that, you know, that cohabitate and there's no, the pastor's never going to say, well, don't do that. That's wrong. You should move out. Um, because the mindset is, well, we don't want to be judgmental. That's pharisaical. That's being judgmental and being mean. Can't do that. Um, and, and so you want, but part of it too is 50, 60 years ago, that wouldn't happen. Like you said, because the entire culture understands this is, this is not how you were supposed to live. Mm -hmm. At least not publicly. People would do it. You know, people would well, obviously would still sin. Uh, but it, they wouldn't be brazen about it. They wouldn't be unashamed of it. It would be it would be pushed into the margins and behind, you know, where people can't see it. Um, and of course, people like, you know, Russell Moore would say, well, it's good that it's out in public now. You know, uh, that's that's you know, it's good that people are not sitting in private. Now they're doing it in public. And it's like, no, actually, that's way worse. Mm -hmm. It's it's way worse to be just publicly brazen ab about sexual sin. And uh, and, and and so I yeah I, I I look at that and I think it's it more than like I, I honestly I don't care about Nancy Mace or any of you know any any of it um I she's not an important political figure really um it's more to me just a, a symptom like you said of of the 
complete and utter decline of, of Christian culture and of, of churches in general, that, that, um, the church is in a rough spot, man. It is in, in such a rough place where we can't even assert basic Christian sexual morality, um, mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um, but that all that is to say, um, you know, keep fighting everyone, keep fighting for, for what's good and right, because it's not going to stay this way forever. You know, it's not going to be, um, you know, what goes up must come down, right? Things, um, things aren't going to remain this way. I think, um, there will be, there will be a reckoning for all of it. Um, let's talk about, uh, Emmett Till. Oh yeah. uh, Breaking Emmett Till news. Uh, Yeah. The, uh, NFL player. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, I mean, so yeah, I guess I, I was attacked. I was attacked this week. Um, about Emmett Till. So, so the news is that <laughs> President Biden uh, declared that there's going to be a national monument to Emmett Till. The And if you don't know who he is, because some people don't, uh, because we have lives that are not obsessed with racial guilt. Um, Emmett Till was a, a young man in, um, was it in Georgia? I can't, I can't even remember, Mississippi. Uh, somewhere in the south, I see. I don't even. Uh, uh, the who in 1955. You need to um, be. You need to be recatechized. I guess I. I'm. I'm failing at the new religion. Um. And and he was. Um. He was beaten and mutilated. Um. In 1955, and the circumstances of which the like the official narrative is that he whistled at a white woman, and so then a few days later a mob. Uh, jumped him, kidnapped him, then beat and mutilated him and, and killed him. Mm-hmm. And um, and then famously, you know, his mother uh, made sure the casket was open so that people could see what happened to her son. And it became this this big part of the civil rights era narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so um, the question there, the the thing that, you know, I want people to consider is the the narrative surrounding this event um is 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 at least somewhat dubious obviously nobody anywhere me or cj or anybody is going to say yes it was good that a kid was was beaten and mutilated and killed that was that was great that was right that should have happened nobody is going to say that right that's wrong that's bad nobody's going to say it wasn't right the question however is the outrageousness of the story Right? Well, yeah. what what is relevant here too is is it's not just like the debate about the story; it's the the controversy pertaining to us was that a lot of, like um, no. Stephen Wolf you know, started it. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, he, no, he did. But, yeah, actually, I I started it. Uh, uh, I'm going to take credit for. It. I started it. Um, well, because... I I bore the brunt of it, but I literally didn't know who he yeah. <laughs> who he was, that's uh, and that's that's the problem. You yeah. have to know. You have to have your priorities in check you have to care about the things that you're told to care about and that's that's where the controversy lied too is 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 you can't just you don't just have to have the right opinion on the story but you have to be aware of the story yeah that's that's part of it i started it and and brandon meeks also started where i i shared the story about the national monument to the great martyr um and and i just i pointed out that actually it's interesting context to the story because it 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 gives us a little more info um, that Emmett Till's father was in the United States army during world war II, mm-hmm. And 
um, he was uh, hung by the United States Army. He was court-martialed and hung for raping Italian women um, in the Italian theater of war. And, and so, um, and, and the reason that's at least somewhat relevant, you know, and people are like, well, you can't blame the father for or the, the kid for the fa- what the father did. That's true. Uh, but like, if that's the guy's father and, and what he's done, that, that there is some bearing on what is, you know, the upbringing that his child would have. Mm-hmm. And the claim of Carolyn Bryant, the woman supposedly whistled at, is that Till came into the store she was working at and attempted to rape her. Um, and that, and so like if, if what that woman is, was saying was true, that at least gives some context to the, the absolute savagery that occurred as a result. Right. It, I mean, and again, it doesn't justify it or anything. No one's saying that. Um, but it, it, it makes the story much less outlandish and outrageous and everything else. It makes it, it, it at least, uh, provide some context that that makes makes you understand why that happened um, rather than just a random savage racial uh, attack. Well, what it does is it tears down the, the regime's use of the story. Is what yeah, exactly. Means. You know, exactly. um, there are thousands of murders, you know, every every month, you know, and yeah. um, of, uh, you know, mostly, you know, black on black or black on white. But like the idea that we have to keep up with every murder Obviously, it's not expected of us, but we have to keep up with the key prioritized murders that represent yep. and are symbolic of revolutionary legal and political changes in America. That's that's yep. what they care about. It's not the murder itself that they care about. It's what it represents to them. And and there's yep. a lot of symbology here um, that's go, that's going on. And you have to know about it. And the great sin is, is uh, you know, not having your priorities in line with the priorities of the regime. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and so that's, you know, so they didn't, they didn't really care about me or, or Brandon Meeks that much, mm. but the, um, the doxer, uh, the lefty doxer crowd uh, went off on this and, and what they, what really upset them was, was Stephen Wolf said, you know, okay, I'll bite who's Emmett Till, right? He, he tweets that out. And then, then the freak out commenced because they want, because here's the, they're like, they're desperate for you know, rightism, Christian rightism to be condemned as racist and have mm-hmm. evidence that they can collect to say, these guys are racist. They're racist. They're evil. They're bad. Um, and, and so like what I said is like, I I'm sure at some point, you know, in a generation that there will be, there will be a monument to Emmett Till's father who was, who was lynched by the U S army for, for rape. Right. Mm-hmm. Because he's a victim too. Uh, he mm-hmm. didn't deserve to die. Like that's, I mean, you can see, I, I'm, 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 you're saying it tongue in cheek, of course, but, um, you could see the logic and how it plays out and, and how the victimology um, takes over. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there, you could easily see that narrative being being um, revised by by the woke easily. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, that's why I said it. Um, and, and also to to show that like, yeah, there, maybe there's some context like the, the story is unclear. Maybe the woman was telling the truth. Maybe she wasn't. Right. There's mm-hmm. a journalist. There's one like people are like, oh, she recanted it. That's like one journalist claimed that she recanted her story but her family has since steadfastly denied that she ever recanted the story and her memoirs right before she died she died i think in the last year right before she died uh her memoirs got leaked uh someone you know went into the uh bank deposit box that they were held and leaked them and it it described like she described in detail what she claimed to have happened 
And I mean, and, and people have made you know, made much of the oh, believe all women, believe all women. Well, except if it counters this grand narrative, mm-hmm. right? Um, what? Maybe she, I don't know. Like this, this is the thing that I, I want. That we to, don't know. Yeah, we don't know what happened one way or the other, right? Everybody want and, and and to say that these people think is evidence of of racial sin, right? Mm-hmm. To say we don't know what happened. I'm I'm skeptical of the narrative. Especially because Since, like, it is look employed at, to 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 bring yeah, about revolutionary well, change in our country. Exa- exactly, and also look at what's happened with uh, Michael Brown and George Floyd and all these other Trayvon you know, Martin and all these other stories. Yeah. It's all proven to be lies, and so it's like. But if you if you categorize this one, is probably likely like given given the way that history has played out over the last fifty years, that it's likely the regime is lying again. That's just evidence that you, but of course, you're not even allowed to have um, your dissenting views no. uh, consistent with the autopsy or anything else, you know, with all yeah. these other more recent things. Yeah, you're not allowed to believe George Floyd killed himself with uh, drugs, right? Yeah. You're not allowed to believe, like, even, even though, like, the toxicology report shows that, right? Derek Chauvin is in prison for probably ever, yeah. uh, unless the Supreme Court, you know, rules and, and lets him out. Um, that, you know, for because of the narrative, like the narrative was cemented. There's no way he's going to get a fair trial. Are you kidding me? Um, and, and and like that's that's the first. I mean, still today, right? If you if you ask random people, especially in like blue areas in a big city or something, about like Kyle Rittenhouse, they will believe that he went to a a, a BLM riot and randomly shot black people. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's what they believe. They literally believe that. Mm-hmm. Like they believe that today. Like they, even though that is not at all what happened. And I mean, there was a whole big, huge trial that showed everything in, in every possible detail from every camera angle and everything else. What happened uh, with him and people just still believe what the TV told them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. I mean, there's still people that believe that, that Michael Brown put his hands up and said, don't shoot when actually he was, he was uh, beating a smaller police officer. Um, and it, like people, people will just believe these because they, because they want to, because the, the, it aligns with the narrative that they're told that America is this in, incorrigibly racist country, this horrible place where white people are just evil and that they need to be brought to heal. I mean, we, we, my, um, not my, she's not my Congresswoman, thankfully, but, um, the Congresswoman just, just a little bit North of me, Ilhan Omar, uh, great, wonderful heritage American, Ilhan Omar, uh, who definitely should not be deported. Um, she uh, she went on TV and said that white men, white men are the, the greatest cause of violence in this country. Yeah. Which, I mean, like factually is, is simply not true. <laughs> like, I mean, just demonstrably, statistically untrue. Uh, but she goes, she says this and parrots these things. Um, because that's what the narrative says. I mean, it's mm-hmm. totally in line with with this narrative, and and ultimately, like you said, it is a, a religious a phenomenon. This is a new religion that people hold to, where you know, none of the stuff like this this guy. And I, I'm maybe, I'm sure you'll listen, Jake Medor. You're listening. You're going to listen to the whole podcast. We're, we save this for the end because we want you to listen. Uh, you and Blake Callens, how do you, how do you like my shirt? Do you like my shirt? Um, <laughs> It's, uh, you know, these guys, they say this stuff and, and none of it, they say, they don't, they don't ever say it's not true. 
you know, what I said or, or, yeah. or, or what Brandon Meeks said or anybody else, they never say it's not true. They never say you're lying. They say you're bad. They say you're evil. Yeah. Right. Even when, um, even when like the lone bulwark, uh, tweet happened from Steven, um, and then he brings up like voting stats and like supports it with, with evidence. Uh, there were people literally people say like, like them saying, well, maybe it's factually true, but it's still morally wrong. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's what they say. That's what they think because it's a, it's a religious thing. It's a religious dogma. They have to believe yeah. they have to believe it. Otherwise their whole world falls apart. Yeah. It just completely evaporates. And, and so, no, like I, I look at this stuff. You should be, I mean, I, I, I had a, a post about it, you know, the other day that like everything should pass through the Jussie Smollett filter. And, and it's funny because all of these guys, all of the doxers, right. When the Covington hoax happened, I remember this, right. I remember all of it when the Covington hoax happened and they said, Oh, these, these kids wearing MAGA hats were, you know, uttering racial slurs. That was fake. They believed it. They condemned it along with everybody and their brother, you know, Ben Shapiro did too. Um, they condemned it. Um, I remember when the, when Canadian churches were being burned to the ground because of this narrative about uh, Canadian, in, you know, schools, um, yeah. um, you know, that there were mass graves and thousands of, of little, you know, native American children or native Canadian, whatever they, whatever the euphemism is, Indian uh, children. Russell Moore was all over that. Yeah. That they, yeah. there are mass graves everywhere. There's mass graves. And like, it was all fake. Mm -hmm. It wasn't true. They've, they've never found any. And they, they spent a lot of resources to, to, to find them. It's all fake, not real, mm -hmm. but they believed it and they condemned it. They condemned other Christians for not caring about it uh, because it's their religion. It's their religion. Um, I mean, the same thing. Yeah. You know, Jesse Smollett and Bubba Wallace and the noose in NASCAR. I mean, all of these, right. All of these happened when, when the Ahmed Arbery thing happened, they're like, Oh, see these, these inbred Georgia Hicks went and shot a random black guy jogging. It's like, well, you know, they should, it was stupid for them to pursue this guy for sure. And they're paying the price for it, but they didn't, they weren't just randomly like hunting black people. Right. <laughs> that's, but that's, that's the narrative that they, was, that they tried to set is like, these guys funny, are running around yeah. trucks hunting black people with their shotguns. It's funny how like, ridiculous it's funny. Like, I don't know. It's just set, like, it sounds so ridiculous. It's like a, I don't know how you could believe that. It or I mean, the, the the recent one, like twenty, you know, twenty nineteen or twenty twenty, you know, during the the summer of George is is this narrative about the Tulsa massacre, mm -hmm. right? Where what actually happened? There was a race riot, and and you know, I think like maybe a dozen people died or something, and whites and blacks were fighting. Um, there were gun battles and things like that in, in Tulsa, but the narrative is that no, what you you were never taught about this in school. They hid this from you in school. What actually happened is the white people went and they massacred hundreds of black people all throughout Tulsa and there are mass graves in Tulsa. We know it. We know that this is true. And even airplanes were flying in the sky, bombing the black people in Tulsa. And it's like, that yeah. never happened. That's fake. Yeah. That's, that's a lie. And it's, and it's, it's blood libel, right? All this stuff is like, yeah. like you have to understand it's blood libel. It is, they hate white people and they want to, they make up fake crimes in order to spread hate of white people. Like that's mm -hmm. what it's about. And in what you see that, like you can't unsee it, right? You see that like, this is, these are just lies. I mean, it, it is, and it, it is, 
it's so dishonest. It's so untrue. And then, yeah, when you line them all up together, it's, it's like comical. Like really people believe that like people believe, I mean, all, all of them. I mean, even, even like the, the big riot in the nineties, right? The big riot in the nineties of, of Rodney King, like this dude is, is so high on PCP that he's assaulting all of these officers and, and about to rip their heads off. And there's a huge long fight. And only the last couple of minutes when he's finally subdued, get actually recorded. And massive riots happen because of it. And it's like, and, the, and that guy is treated like a great hero and a great, uh, a great martyr. And even though he lived and, and, and it's like, no, this is, this is a, you know, drug dealing felon that is, is fighting with the cops, you know? And, and so all of these things, I mean, all of them at, at the very least, if they're not like total fabrications, they are so distorted and, and so obscured and so much context is left out of them. And it's always to serve the purposes of white people are evil. White people are bad. We've got to do something about these white people. We've got to take away their rights. We've got to destroy their country. Like that's, that's what, you know, that's what these narratives serve. And these, these, these just utter frauds that, that peddle them and act like if you question them, you're a bad person. You're mm -hmm. evil. You're you're a bat. You're you're unchristian. You're sinning if you if you question these narratives. Like that's that's all they've got. And like we've been through enough hoaxes that I think people are are finally like at least decent, smart, thoughtful people are finally starting to see through all this stuff. That how much of the how much stuff in the past is is embellished or fabricated or distorted in in these ways. And and I think people are seeing it. It's like, well, maybe there's more to the story. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's always the question. Like, well, maybe there's more to the story. Um, I mean, you see this also with like um, the, I mean, there's current narrative going on too. Like the, Opp I haven't seen the Oppenheimer movie. I, I don't think you have either. Um, but they make it into this, like, oh, so I've heard that these poor, um, these poor communist sympathizers <laughs> who uh, loved the Soviet union in the Manhattan project, were viciously uh, persecuted. You know? yeah. It's like, no, they're all commies. They're <laughs> all commies, man, including Oppenheimer. Like all of them were communists, and they loved the Soviet Union. They loved Stalin, and uh, Joe McCarthy didn't go far enough. That's what you need to like. People are waking up to that. That like, uh, we had a lot of communists in in the government, and now we could see, you know, 60, 70 years, eighty years later, um, what actually happened and mm -hmm. what our world actually is. Um, so. That I mean, I'm I'm not going to shy away from these controversies, man. And I I think, um, I and I don't think we should. Like you had, uh, you should talk a little bit about uh, before we wrap up here because we're running out of time. But uh, you should talk about what happened with you. You were you were viciously attacked by by all sorts of crazy Reddit people um, this week. What what happened there? Yeah, I tweeted out that uh, the Civil Rights Act was a revolution from the top. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh no, uh, yeah. described reality. And it, it reinforced the priorities and benefited the administrative state. So what I, what I meant by all that is that it wasn't this grassroots thing. It was highly coordinated by money and an ascendant political, uh, power base that basically was trying to capture power. And that's that they orchestrated and planned for a legal revolution, and they needed these certain events to like springboard uh, their legal revolution. And, and the result of that was the creation 
or you know a transformation of the constitutional order such that yeah. we now have a old constitutional order and a new constitutional order and the birth moment was the civil rights era that's kind yeah. of when the transition happened uh, and in that sense it was a revolution um, from the top it wasn't it yeah. wasn't a revolution in that from the top in that it was all coordinated by the current top dogs in the state apparatus but it was uh you know in pursuit of power by an ascendant political class and it wasn't this grassroots spontaneous organic set of events but it was highly coordinated they had key figures in the media they had oh, key yeah. figures in um you know le the legislature they had key figures in uh you know the court system and all that stuff and they coordinated this thing the whole thing was a complete power play uh and that's what it was and that really strikes the heart of the myth because the myth yeah. is that it has to be a people's movement. The yeah. myth is that it has to come from the proletariat. And it was it was spontaneous. It was organic. Rosa Parks was just this innocent old lady that had yeah. just had enough. And she just was tired from her long day of work. And like, yeah. that's just part of. She was narrative. a communist. She went to communist she, meetings. Like she, she was, was a professional ag agitator. Yeah. And so was her husband. Yeah, like yeah. These, this is this is they were agitators and and they planned the bus, they planned the driver, they planned the day, they planned oh, the, yeah. the jurisdiction. All these things were 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 planned, um, and they got what, what they wanted. So it was it was a highly coordinated revolution that benefited you know the the state apparatus. Liberty liberty was not a result of the civil rights movement. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know, in, in so many ways that was sort of a, a nail in the coffin in the terms of American liberty. Well, and, and you look at it too, like the crazy thing is, and I, I go back to this in, you know, in, in terms of like actual results too. If you, even if you, you look at it from this perspective of, Hey, you know, we're Christians and we should care about, you know, in this Tim Kellery way, uh, you know, uh, human, um, what is he, what did he always say? Um, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting. I have too much golf on the brain right now. Uh, the, uh, human flourishing. There we go. Human flourishing. If you care about human, if you care about human flourishing for, for, uh, black people, right? If you care about what, like, what is best for, for them as a group, has the civil rights revolution accomplished that? Mm -hmm. Has anything gotten better for them as a people at all? I mean, if you look at every sociological statistic and economic statistic, not really. I mean, there's there's like, you know, the top, you know, the right side of the bell curve or the very top end of, of black folks have way more opportunity now for sure. Mm -hmm. But the average, the average black person is in much worse state than they were in uh, when things were, you know, legally bad for them. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and it's not to say that, well, Jim Crow was good and all these things were good. But it's to show that, like, life in very real terms was 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 better for like there were more families, there were more there was more marriage. There was and some of this is the decline of Christianity as well. But there were you know, and now is it like eighty or ninety percent of black children are illegitimate in America? It's a lot. Okay? I Something mean, it, like it's that, it's, yeah. it's 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 a massive number. I mean, the percentage that live in zero parent homes is like in the in the twenties, I think. And, mm -hmm. and so you look at, you look at that and you think like, what is, what is affirmative action? What is all, all what have all these things accomplished for them? It's not been good. Mm -hmm. It hasn't. I mean, if that's the end that they're pursuing is to try to, you know, raise their standard of living and, and make, make life better. 
um, that has not been accomplished at all. Mm -hmm. um, so it has been in, in, in just, just in, in terms of, of actual results has been a massive failure uh, for that group of people. And not even set, you know, setting aside what it has done to the constitutional order and, and, and makeup of the country and, and, and how it's undermined every part. I mean, that's why Caldwell, I mean, we, we've, we've talked about Caldwell's book. I think we should maybe do an episode on the whole thing at some point. Um, the, that, that's the point of Caldwell's book is that like, you have, you know, gay marriage, you have trans, you have all the things that we have now because of civil rights. Like that's how it was encoded into law is through, through the civil rights revolution. Mm -hmm. um, all the things that we have today are because of that. It's not, we don't, that, that's the, that's the new constitution of America. And so, no, it, it has to be. And so to undermine it, like you have to, you have to attack these narratives. Like you have to know that, that the civil rights movement was led by communists, literal communists that, that wanted to destroy America. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's their goal. Their goal wasn't, Oh, we want to make life better for black people. I don't care about that. They wanted to destroy, they hated America. They wanted to destroy it. Um, I mean, you look at, if you look at BLM today, it's the, the, the same thing. I mean, it, it really is it, literally just the same thing. And, and that's why you see like the boomer conservatives and like, you saw that like AI picture of Martin Luther King and Donald Trump together. <laughs> it's like that. And it's like, no, no. If Martin Luther King were alive today, um, he would be at the front of BLM, right? Mm -hmm. He would be, he would be the biggest BLM supporter there is like they, the, the woke are more correct than the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Um, they it's it's true i mean it is it's a it is a revolutionary movement in the same manner and so you have to deconstruct uh the civil rights revolution and understand what actually occurred it mm -hmm. wasn't oh we want we want people to treat black people but like that's that's the narrative right we want people to treat black people in our country better right if, if that's what it is okay that you know that's re that's good that's a that's a virtuous thing to to treat other people well <laughs> that's not what it was about yeah, that's not what it was about. It was it was about totally um, revolutionizing the entire American way of life. Mm -hmm. And it has been successful at that end. Mm -hmm. Very successful. Right. It yeah. hasn't made life better for black people. It has very <laughs> much been successful at tearing apart America and, and rebuilding it in this secularized, globalized vision. Mm -hmm. Right. That's that's what it has accomplished. Um, and so. Anything else on that you want to talk about? I think we've, uh, you know, exhausted our time. Uh, yeah, we've already we've already done a lot of the civil rights stuff. Um, yeah, but yeah, I would just say, you know, like I would just echo what you know, like Stephen Wolf says. Like, you don't need to feel obligated to line up your priorities with their priorities. No, you you know, who no. cares? Who cares? Yeah, don't There's play that. ball in their field. Yeah, there, there's that there's that clip of Abraham Piper that you probably saw going around about how like if you if you're leaving you know, fundamental Christianity or whatever, then you don't have to leave on their terms. You can just shut the door and just walk away. It's the same thing. Yeah. 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 You don't, you don't have to, you don't have to like argue yourself out of the civil rights regime. Just yeah. leave, just walk away. I, my priorities, my priorities yeah. are not their priorities. Yeah. yeah. So, so take, take that away from this. Oh, wonderful. Well, on that note, um, you know, thank you. If you've made it through the whole episode, uh, thank you all so much for listening, for watching. Um, we really appreciate it. We appreciate everyone that, that shares and likes and subscribes and all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, we're going to yeah, hopefully try to get more of these um, 
on on Spotify. We we haven't and, and and various streaming you know audio platforms. We haven't been able to to do that lately. Uh, it's it's uh, all the fault of uh, we're all going to make it. The executive producer. He is actually. Um, I've just received a bulletin here that he uh, has been arrested and executed. Uh, source military. So, uh, so unfortunately, uh, we're not going to have time for him, and he's uh, no longer no longer with us. Um, no longer going to make it. He's no longer going to make it. Uh, but we'll uh, we will uh, get get all those up very soon. But uh, yeah, again, thank you so much for listening, and uh, for CJ and for me, thank you, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.